Hello and welcome or welcome back to the Live Label Free Podcast. Today's episode is a little bit different because it's not a solo episode and it's not me interviewing a guest, but instead, I am being interviewed. This conversation was initially released on the Neurospiced, and yes, that's spiced as in S-P-I-C-E-D, such a clever play on words, podcast presented by Edna, which is short for Eating Disorders Neurodiversity Australia, and is a podcast sharing neurodivergent voices with lived experience of eating disorders. After listening to the published episode when it was released back in January of this year, I thought it was such a powerful conversation that I later reached out to the host, Lawrence, asking her if she could send me the audio file so that I could reshare it on the Live Label free podcast. In this episode, I share my journey growing up undiagnosed autistic, how this led to the development of my eating disorder, and then I really dive into the dangers of traditional eating disorder treatment for neurodivergent individuals. I talk about gaslighting and how this conditioned me to mask in my conversations with professionals, how this invalidation led me to manipulate the treatment system, and I dive into several other topics that are important when it comes to the link between neurodiversity and eating disorders. Of course, I also share what did work for me to fully recover from an eating disorder while embracing my unique brain, so hopefully you will feel empowered and inspired to do the same. Before we dive in, I just want to give two quick book updates. First of all, my cookbook, Nourishing Neurodiversity, is officially published. Nourishing Neurodiversity contains over 50 easy recipes that are vegan, gluten-free, soy-free, nut-free, and 100% customizable to your sensory needs and preferences. The entire book is also filled with executive functioning tips, gut health tips, and information on how to improve mental health. Suffice to say, the book lives up to its name of helping you nourish your neurodiversity. So grab yourself a copy, and if you know someone who's neurodivergent, grab them a copy too. One of the reasons I created this book is because it's the cookbook I wish I had when I was learning to eat in a way that aligned with my unique needs. So if you can help get it into the hands of more people who need that, we can advocate for neurodiversity together. You'll also hear me mention my second book several times throughout this episode, and that is my memoir, Rainbow Girl. It will be released in a few months and is truly the most vulnerable and unfiltered account of my life I have ever shared. I dive even deeper into several of the topics covered in the upcoming podcast, so if you like what you hear, you will absolutely love my book, Rainbow Girl. You can be the very first to hear when it's published by signing up for my book waitlist at livelabelfree.com forward slash book. And if you'd like to get Rainbow Girl and Nourishing Neurodiversity and all of my future books completely for free, yes, for free, you can become a Live Label Free patron by visiting the link livelabelfree.com forward slash Patreon, and that's Patreon spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Now, without further ado, let's dive into this episode with Lawrence. Gotta put one foot in front of the other, and you'll be around. 
Welcome to Live Label Free, the podcast, where you'll learn to let go of limiting labels and embrace your unique brain. As my mom says so beautifully in her song, Which is why on this podcast, you'll learn the scientific links between neurodiversity and eating disorders, giving you a deeper understanding of how you can face your fears and become truly free. Together, you and me, we will keep putting one foot in front of the other. Hi, Livia. It's lovely to have you on our podcast tonight. Can you tell me a bit more about yourself in general? Yeah, well, I'm super, super excited to be here because as we were talking about before we started recording, um, I actually reached out to you um, after I had read your story online um, and was like, wow, this resonates so deeply with um, my life story um, growing up, being diagnosed with an eating disorder while unknowingly autistic um and I had remember reaching out to you and I hadn't heard back because somehow your the message ended up in your spam folder or something like that (laughs) yeah Um, I'm sorry for that no no worries um and then like I don't even know how much later but more than half a year later um you reached out to me um to be on the neurospiced podcast and I was like wow I I love that that this like comes full circle and it, it was like meant to be um so yeah anyways um like I just said I was diagnosed with an eating disorder at quite a young age um when I was 11 years old um and growing up I mean I always knew that I was different like I would pretend to like girly things even though I really didn't just so I would fit in and just so I would have quote-unquote friends yeah um, a bit like feeling like an alien and feeling like you've been dropped on this planet and you don't belong really (laughs) yeah that's like literally how I describe it in my book that's coming out this year too is like I felt like I was dropped like on a planet I was like well I think I use the metaphor like I felt like I was dropped in a video game that I wasn't supposed to be (laughs) or like one of those characters that's like this is really not and and everybody knows the rules and they can apply them and like be functional and then you're like what are the rules (laughs) yeah nobody wants to tell you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes and the interesting is when you use that word functioning is like when I look back at my childhood and especially school and sports like I was very functioning like I received very very high grades I was a very well performing student in school um, I did all the sports I was the fastest in the track team I scored all the goals in soccer you know I was high competitive gymnast Um I think when everyone looked at me from the outside, I was like the epitome of some little girl that was, you know, bound for success. But I think deep inside, I was very, very unhappy. I was constantly living in fear. I was always anxious. um, And I felt this intense pressure to perform, right? Especially because I had kind of been conditioned, like we expect this from you. Um, And I think when those underlying autism that you have no idea about especially because no one no one learns like that's not part of the school curriculum right like what is autism and if it is it's along that same 
stereotypes that you see with eating disorders of like I remember so clearly in like the biology textbook we were learning about anorexia and bulimia and binge eating disorder like as if those are only three eating disorders and I just remember this graphic in that book of of anorexia of a very thin skeletal girl looking in the mirror and seeing a fat person staring back at her mm-hmm. um so which when is I very that, very stereotypical and and, and stigmatizing right. as well because uh, it gives uh, the message to fat people that they are not worthy as such. And it's it's very traumatizing for fat people to to feel the way that they are somebody's worst nightmare, essentially. So that right. image really needs to go because it's it's very stigmatizing for 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 people living in in larger bodies, absolutely. And especially, like one of the terms that I just do not like is that term atypical anorexia. yeah, because, yeah. It, I'm the same. The, yeah. the fact that it's called atypical, I'm like, first of all, more people have anorexia in larger bodies, I personally believe, but because they're in larger bodies, they're not getting diagnosed with anorexia. Yeah. Um, and then there's also that, that assumption that you're not sick enough. <laughs> right, right. Which is like already so prominent when you have an eating disorder. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then by naming it atypical, it's like, oh, it's not, it's not real. Like, Actually, I'm not allowed atypical to. atypical anorexia is statistically more prevalent than typical anorexia. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, I personally don't really like statistics because I feel like there's so many people going undiagnosed and the only people that are part of the statistic are the people that actually are recognized right um so anyways um when I when I was 11 or 12 um kind of going back to my story I was diagnosed with anorexia and depression um and OCD and so many other things um and I just remember for years um denying like I do not have anorexia I do not have this because I didn't have body dysmorphia I didn't have fear of fatness I didn't have fear of weight gain it I didn't have any of these things that all the therapists and healthcare professionals were basically stuffing down my throat like oh you have body image issues oh you have this but I was like no I don't so I can't have anorexia Mm -hmm. and and because I had that I think very visually I had always that image of my mind of like an anorexic person is someone who's very thin looks in the mirror and thinks they're fat I'm like I don't have this so I cannot have anorexia um so I think that is kind of where the invalidation started of like me telling people telling my parents I do not have this I do not resonate with this and them basically all saying no you do you are this thing you are this label um it's and almost that, like that... gaslighting as well it, it distorts your own narrative and, and your own feelings within yourself of how you feel about like your your eating disorder it, absolutely yeah so suffice to say kind of long story short for over seven years I was forced in and out of treatment for my eating disorder every time in treatment being the quote-unquote perfect patient eating all the things like doing all following all the rules and then um as soon as I got out I would just spiral back into the behaviors because I was like you guys can't control me um but that just caused me to bounce back and forth the whole time and Mm -hmm. um Mm Also, during treatment, I learned a lot of methods to, I guess, manipulate the system. Um, So first of all, I learned how to mask for my therapist and for my nutritionist. And I basically learned what language they wanted me to use. Um, And so if they say like, 
oh, you have a hard time eating a cupcake because you're afraid of it. I would be like, okay, I'm going to store that for the next appointment. And the next appointment, when they'd be like, why didn't you gain weight? I'd say, I was so afraid of the cupcake. So that's, that's why. And they'd be like, wow, I'm so proud you're being honest with me. And it kind of conditioned me to lie just to get through treatment, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would hide food. I would do secret exercise. I mean, I figured out any way to kind of prove to myself I guess like no one can tell me what to do um and I think that is obviously what made the eating disorder much more ingrained because it I found all these secret ways to to get through to manipulate the system um and it, it reached one point where I would I was water loading and I for almost a year I made my weight go up on the curve in an almost flawless fashion um, by every week drinking extra water basically mm -hmm. um, and putting coins in my underwear and just I had it got to a point where I almost manipulated my weight by six kilograms or something like that so mm -hmm. for, for a small 15 year old girl <laughs> like that is very significant um yeah. and I just remember yeah. when I was caught because I had peed all over the scale at the doctor's office because I couldn't hold it anymore <laughs> um it was like this this has gotten too serious like this is the worst case of manipulation I've ever seen um after that I, w I was again forced in and out of treatment and uh, two years later it got to a point where my psychiatrist said um you like your case is too complex. You're just going to have to accept the fact that you're never going to get better. Um, now, I don't understand why, even if it was true, why anyone would say that to a 15 year old girl. Mm -hmm. uh, but anyways, um, especially when that, it's actually their fault that they cannot properly diagnose you with autism in the first place. And, and they're treating yeah. you in a way that is harmful for yourself. Exactly. Um, and, so and they didn't that, consider the uh, demand avoidance as well, because you mentioned that like control, um, you didn't want people to control you and you want to have autonomy and stuff like that. That's that's pretty relevant in, in, in terms of demand avoidance, which um, I mean, a psychiatrist technically should be aware of. Yeah, especially when it comes to autism, because I think autistic people already have so much distrust in the world that when you're in treatment or any kind of like mental care, mental health care, like establishing that trust is is essential. Yeah. Um, so yeah. if you're doing the opposite and you're creating this like hierarchical kind of system, I'm like, it's bound to <laughs> create what to create trauma, basically. Um, so, yeah, after that, um, I I was completely given up on I was tossed out of any kind of healthcare system um and and that's when things got like their worst um to a point in 2017 where I I literally was on the edge of death um but it was during one of my panic attacks um that I remember laying on my bed screaming and crying and saying I, I cannot do this anymore there has to be a better way like it was either I was going to do something radically different and and give living a chance or I wanted to die. Like it, mm -hmm. it was those two options. Um, so in, in 2017, I, I was like, I'm going to give this whole recovery thing, um, everything I've got. And, and I don't, I don't care if, well, of course I did care, but I was like, I don't care if I, if this is going to be so scary because I knew it was, um, because I mean, that that's why I clung to my eating disorder, right? Cause it was safe and it was predictable. Mm -hmm. And yeah, uh, yeah. every basically autistic trait 
manifested in food and exercise what was my eating disorder it was kind um, of your special interest in some way <laughs> yeah like that's how I describe it in my book too like how when I was 11 and or 12 and when I was diagnosed with the eating disorder healthy eating became my special interest yeah. um but- that's why it's so dangerous to to apply moral moral values to food items like this is healthy this is unhealthy and then autistic people with black and white thinking they, they go like oh this is healthy yeah. I should just eat that and then it becomes so ingrained and then it becomes a special interest and that's that's risky yeah and and the literal thinking too because exactly um, yeah when I was in fifth grade so when I around the time I was I started developing the eating disorder um we learn in school right an apple is healthy a cookie is unhealthy um all these things about like childhood obesity and diabetes and heart attacks and um I literally believed like oh if I eat cookies I am going to get diabetes um so it was like okay no cookies for me um but of course that reached a point where it became an eating disorder so anyways um in in 2017 I committed to full recovery and um it it came with its ups and downs um and it it was really hard but I I gained the weight that was necessary um and my mental health got a lot better um but three years later so in 2020 well like all throughout that time of me being in like real recovery I guess or like real striving to live I I don't really like the term recovery very much um is there was always something missing um there was I was doing better and I had gained the weight but there were still so many quote-unquote what I now refer to as autistic eating disorder behaviors that were still very present um but I was like I I don't I'm not engaging in eating disorder anymore and I don't want this this eating problem anymore but so why am I still so focused on number why do I numbers why do I still have difficulty with hunger cues why do I still have these really strong preferences for food temperatures and textures and all these things that mm-hmm. professionals are saying are my eating disorder it just didn't make sense and I was like there's something much deeper than this that no one is seeing that someone is missing um yeah. So, so interestingly, um, now I kind of just want to get into like how my autism discovery story, um, and in 2015, so around the time that I was told like, you're too complex, you're never going to get better. Um, oh, we all got that message. It, it, oh it, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's crushing yeah. and it's devastating. Like to be told that, oh, well, you're too unwell, you're too complex. We, we don't really care anymore about you. Bye. <laughs> right. And, and I think I've thought a lot about why healthcare professionals say that and, and the conclusion I've I've come to and and believe in is that they're humans too, humans with fears and limiting beliefs. And I think by blaming their inability to help on the patient, yeah. it lets them off the hook. It, they, it makes them feel better don't. about themselves. But yeah, exactly. eventually they cause trauma to vulnerable people, which is exactly. which is not very ethical, especially when they get paid to help you and they don't. Oh, oh yeah, especially that. And don't even get me started on the whole <laughs> money part of this because like all the all the statistics based on like this many people with anorexia also have autism like I actually dove deep into the studies and this is another book I plan on writing like Mm -hmm. all of these Mm -hmm. statistics are based off stereotypical thin white woman with access to treatment like or with like insane insurance which in the U.S. is just non-existent if you're not wealthy um (laughs) yeah it's it's very large problem but um and 
and and I mean I I have thin privilege like I did fit that stereotype so I did have access to treatment um but yeah that's a whole nother rabbit hole that I'm not gonna get into (laughs) um but yeah anyways um I'm gonna go back to where I started in in 2015 yeah like around that same time when I was told I was too complex a friend of my mom's who actually was a therapist who worked with neurodivergent people um she at one point had suggested like I think Livia may be on the spectrum like um I think she has Asperger's which is um which I know that term isn't being used anymore but she had recommended my mom read the book Asperger's by Rudy Simone um so my mom yeah so my mom had like all these books in her shelf like how to help you teen beaten eating disorder and um uh parenting a child with an eating disorder you know all the books that a parent wants to solve the problem um so my mom had all these books including the book ask for girls um but because at the time i think I mean, so many people believe like autism is that stereotype. Like I still get that every day. You lack empathy, you don't make eye contact and you cannot have friends. You cannot be good at school and all those like unrealistic and and stupid stereotypes. Like like still, when I say I'm autistic, people are like, how is that even possible? Like you're fine. And you don't look autistic. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like... (laughs) Okay, I'm not even getting into this. Um, yeah. I, I wrote a whole book about this, 85,000 words. So um, that's what I have to say about that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, anyways, I, I I was like very resistant to this new label. I was like, I already am diagnosed anorexia and depressed and OCD and anxiety. I'm like, the last thing I need is another label. <laughs> um, but then when I was um, feeling like something was missing and after I had actually started um my live label free coaching program my very first client actually she she was autistic um and and I had asked her like what caused you to reach out to me why did you start coaching with me and she had said like well I read your story on your website about you being labeled as too complex and and all these kind of non-compliant labels right um and she said And she said, and that really resonated with me and everyone had given up on me and your story and your approach um, really, really resonated with me. And so I started working with this girl um, and and a lot of what she was describing, like how she had these very um, sensory preferences and um, difficulty with hunger cues and basically all the things that I still experience, (laughs) um, I was like, I was like, wow, maybe this this whole autism thing that five years prior um maybe there is something in that so I went into my mom's room I got the book asked for girls and I started reading it and I have never read a book that fast in my entire life because from the very first page I was like this is so me like this is insane no one has ever described me so accurately before um and kind of the rest is history um because then I discovered I'm autistic and um I I really started basically every kind of approach to recovery from my eating disorder that was like still like I was almost there but I wasn't completely there I always say like if my recovery from an eating disorder was like baking a cake the the autism discovery was like the cherry on top like that was like the last thing I needed to to really go over that edge of like now you fully recovered Mm -hmm. um because Mm -hmm. I could stop labeling certain preferences and certain traits as as eating disorder behaviors and I could now see them as 
autistic traits that are just part of who I am and allowing those things to be there, allowing me to microwave my coffee five times if I need to and not having it be in eating disorder behavior. Um, like that made me realize like I am recovered and these, these things that all the time the healthcare professional said those eating disorder behaviors. I was like, well, not in my case, in my case, they're actually just preferences that I have and and allowing that to exist and be there and no longer focusing negative energy on it um that 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 I believe is allowing me to fully live my life um and I think that's why I don't really like the word recovery very much um because I always say like where your attention goes energy flows and if you're so focused on like am I doing recovery perfectly like how do I like if you're so focused on recovery from your eating disorder like you will stay stuck in recovery from your eating disorder but the point of recovery from your eating disorder of course is not recovery it's to live your life um so so yeah, so basically embracing all these traits that at first were eating disorder behaviors allowed me to fully live my life. Let's take a moment to talk about snacks. If you are listening to this, chances are you struggle with reliable hunger cues, and you are not alone. Neurodivergent individuals, as well as those who struggle with anxiety or disordered eating, tend to lack interoceptive awareness, which is responsible for sending us bodily cues, including whether we're hungry, thirsty, or in pain. As a neurodivergent individual myself, I know firsthand what it feels like to be so out of touch with your body that come nighttime, you realize you are so hungry and just want to binge on the entire kitchen. But I can assure you that even though you may currently feel stuck in a toxic cycle of confusion, it is possible to learn to nourish your body and neurodivergent brain in a way that fits your unique lifestyle. An essential part of doing so is by incorporating nutritious snacks and that's why I am so excited to tell you about Midi Bites. Midi Bites is a women-owned business that creates refrigerated cookie bites for adults and kids alike. Founded by a holistic nutritionist and kids nutrition specialist, the woman behind Midi Bites was on a mission to create a snack made from only the highest quality whole food ingredients and has succeeded in doing so with her products that are all organic, vegan, gluten-free, soy-free, and completely free of preservatives or any other junk that's in most bars or snacks these days. The chocolate cookie bites and the entire line of kids cookie bites are also 100% nut free so these conveniently packed bites are truly a snack or dessert the entire family can enjoy. To snag your bites and get a whopping 20% off your order, simply head over to midibites.co and enter my code LIVE20 at checkout. So that's M-I-D-I-B-I-T-E-S dot C-O and my code LIVE20, L-I-V-2-0 gets you 20% off your entire order. Be sure to tell me your favorite flavor and now let's get back to today's episode. Something that, that professionals, health professionals miss completely, like they, they think that like 
normal autistic behaviors are actually eating disorder behaviors and they try to yeah. cure or treat them which is actually harmful because they're not eating disorder related behaviors they're autistic related behaviors and and those behaviors they help with self-regulation self-soothing and so i guess in your case it sounds like your understanding of autism for yourself in terms of self-awareness has led to self-acceptance which then triggered your um recovery i guess Exactly. Yeah. And so the more and more I really learned, like embracing the autism is it is what makes me so much stronger and so much more confident. Um, That's when I actually really started shifting like all the work I was doing online with Live Label Free into like bridging that gap between neurodiversity and eating disorders, because I was like, I was discovering that there was a whole world of people out there who were struggling with the same thing and had this had very similar stories to mine. And there's this huge need for people with lived experience that can help people recover from their eating disorders and live that full life while embracing their autism. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, this story kind of got really long, but but that's basically my why for doing what I do today. And that is helping neurodivergent individuals fully recover from their eating disorder um, because I know how important it is to have that holistic approach and and that validation and just basically being allowed to be yourself. Because if you're going to look everywhere outside yourself and try and fit this mold that you were never supposed to fit in anyway, like how do you ever expect to be yourself? I always say like if you're enslaved to your environment and your external mm -hmm. circumstances, like slavery is the very opposite of freedom. So how can you ever have any kind of freedom, right? If if you're trying to live a life that that isn't actually yours. So yeah, that that's kind of my story and and why why I'm here today. <laughs> it's it, it, I mean, I can relate to to your struggles as well like in terms of being labeled too complex and like people some somehow giving up on you and your autistic traits that help you actually live your life being uh, medicalized and pathologized and trying to be cured and then you end up fighting yourself rather than the eating disorder itself because if if you try to fight your autism then you fight yourself and there's no point in that except being harmed exactly so, yeah trying to, to accept so yeah accept myself like i have food preferences very strong ones and that's fine that's okay it's not eating disorder behavior it's autistic behavior and i have to embrace it because otherwise i'll never recover from my eating disorder exactly exactly yeah. and, um, and so... it would be nice for health professionals to actually like understand that so how do you think your neurodivergence has affected um the development of your eating disorder and and its maintenance as well yeah so i think i i recently touched on like a lot of i think the reasons why undiagnosed autism made my eating disorder worse but i think first of all it's really important to recognize that there are a lot of like autistic traits that when they manifest into food and exercise and it gets very like extreme I guess that basically is like the recipe for an eating disorder mm -hmm. so for example we talked about like that literal thinking right um the taking health recommendations very literally um I remember being told like you have to eat this to be healthy or you have to exercise for this much time each day to be healthy um and just like back when we had the food pyramid still I was like oh well oil is such a slim part of this pyramid why not just like cut it out right um and and trying to be very perfectionistic in how I approach these recommendations and 
the health, the whole healthy eating and everything became a special interest of mine. Um, so yeah, I always say like, and I personally believe that my eating disorder was simply a manifestation of my autism. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it also, a lot of it has to do with anxiety. Um, cause I'm pretty sure that every single autistic person also has anxiety. Um, and I think that has to do with the, the, that we're conditioned to not be able to trust our, the world. Um, in ourselves as well yes because i once heard a quote that was super powerful and i i think it's like really a, a, i think trust is the core of basically kind of any kind of mental health issue um is distrust um and one quote that i once heard that i loved about anxiety was the opposite of anxiety isn't calm it's trust um and i think that is why so many autistic people do have anxieties because we we don't trust ourselves we don't trust the external world we don't trust what we're supposed to do we don't and that's why we mask and use all these kind of coping mechanisms um and and another thing that i think is really interesting is when people say that autistic people are very fixed and rigid in how they think i actually think it's the complete opposite i actually think that autistic yeah. people are very flexible and open to new opportunities but because we then are so overwhelmed by the abundance of choices and opportunities, we become paralyzed. Um, and to protect us from that analysis paralysis, to protect us from the anxiety that comes with that overwhelm, we were like, okay, we'll just do this one thing all the time without fail, because at least we know what to expect then. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that kind of perspective, like really changed my mind I'm like wow that's actually so interesting and I think it just goes to show that autistic people are actually very resourceful in finding coping mechanisms to absolutely themselves um but it it has caused them to I guess um appear like a certain way in in a world that wasn't built for us um mm -hmm. so so yeah I think like I said a lot of it has to do with anxiety um that there are a lot of overlapping traits that we also touched on before like a very strong preferences for um texture and temperatures and how food looks and how food feels um and and not wanting to feel very full because that can be very uncomfortable um i mean like i think when it gets to a point where those traits um stand between you and and being able to live life to your full potential i think that's what defines an, a disorder so an eating disorder mm -hmm. um and that's another one of those labels like asd autism spectrum disorder that I just completely disagree with because I think if you were able to embrace your autistic traits and and I guess use the autism to live a full life like how is that even a disorder like it's allowing you to be in order um mm -hmm. but because but an eating disorder on the other hand that in that prohibits you from living your full life um so I think that's that word disorder is is very important um and, and for me that was a very important distinction to make in recovery was an eating an eating disorder is a disorder that is not who I am it does not define me and that's why I always say I had anorexia um rather than I was anorexic um be, and with with autism it's the complete opposite right I say I am autistic I do not have autism because autism is not something that that like an eating disorder I can ever get rid of. It's it's part of my identity. It's part of who I am. Mm -hmm. Um, 
so yeah so so that's what i wanted to say like about how my neurodivergence affected my eating disorder was those overlapping traits anxiety mm -hmm. um and and i mean it's it's a coping mechanism right for it, it creates predictability it creates this false sense of safety um and, and, control, and i yeah. think yes and i think that's why autistic people are more prone to eating disorders mm -hmm. because we live in a world that is so unpredictable that is so out of control um and then the last thing i also wanted to say was i think um that interoception plays a very important role in in autism and eating disorders um i've i've talked about interoception a bit in um some of my recent podcast episodes and blog posts but um for anyone who doesn't know interoception is the sense through which we monitor the inner state of our body so um whether you're too hot or too cold whether you're hungry or thirsty um that's all regulated by interoceptive awareness and um neurodivergent people tend to lack interoceptive awareness so we're not always as aware of whether we are hungry or whether we are cold um so growing up like i I just remember not feeling physically hungry in the sense of like, oh, your stomach is rumbling or, or whatever. Um, so I was like, well, if I'm not hungry, that was another thing, right, that you learn in school. If you're not hungry, don't eat. <laughs> so I yeah. was like, oh, simple as that. <laughs> um, and and so yeah. I, I yeah. lost weight. And I, I, I know they're doing a lot of research now on like the relationship between autism and eating disorders and, and what um, impact like traumatic birth has and all this kind of stuff um but I was actually born two weeks late but I had the weight of a, a premature baby I was a very very small child and growing up like I was always the smallest smallest one in the class like I'm always on the front of in the front of all the school photos because I was so small and my nickname was little Livia and everything <laughs> that had to do with little being little um so when I like just didn't eat when I wasn't hungry. And I also cut out like these so-called bad foods that I learned were unhealthy. Like I just lost a, a little bit of weight and that was like already enough to, I think, put me into energy deficit and mm -hmm. make me develop an eating disorder. Um, and yeah, like I mentioned before, um, I think all the forced treatment, like saying you have to do this, basically trying to take away the very thing that I believed was giving me control yeah. made me cling yeah. to that thing even more. Which exactly. Yeah, it, it actually yeah. is counterproductive. <laughs> yes, which extended the duration and um, increased the, I guess, severity of my eating disorder. And of course, I can never look back in time. I can never know what what if like and I, I feel like that's counterproductive, too. It's like, what if this was different? Because you can you can never go back. You can only go forward. Mm -hmm. But I, I truly believe that if I would have known about being autistic um and if that would have been accepted and worked with and accommodated um during my eating disorder i think that my eating disorder would not have become as bad as as it was <laughs> as it ended up becoming uh, i don't know if that resonates with you as well yeah absolutely i mean it, it became chronic and and i think that obviously i mean i think that accommodating my my autistic traits and accepting myself for me would have helped in in recovery and obviously not not becoming mating disorder becoming chronic uh but i mean i guess the most important is that if i had been diagnosed with autism early in childhood i may not even have had an eating disorder at all um and that's yeah, probably even that's more important yeah yeah it's hindsight is always 2020 but oh, yeah. at the same time i always like people think i'm crazy when i say this but i think 
developing my eating disorder and how my life's course went i i think it was the greatest gift and i think it was supposed to happen that way because the work that i do now um helping other people um overcome their eating disorders while embracing their neurodiversity i like i i wouldn't want any other life than this because it's i know i'm doing such important work and it's so fulfilling like seeing other people um get better and and really discover who they are um and and i don't think i would feel so strongly about knowing who i am and knowing my boundaries um i don't think i would be where i am or i don't think i'd be who i am today if it weren't for really going through so many struggles and having to figure out so many obstacles because ultimately that's that's what makes us stronger yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. I mean, um, I can relate you know, for myself as well. I mean, I, I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for the struggles I had encountered. But I mean, who is to say that maybe my life wouldn't have been fulfilling if if I didn't? But yeah, that's that's always in hindsight. You can you can speculate over everything, I guess. Um, right. I, I was curious about like, do you think that masking has maybe had an effect on your eating disorder or contributed to it in some way? Uh, I I do think so, um, especially like what I was saying before about like trying to be like a normal girl um, and like pretending to to do all the things that I really didn't want to do. I think I think that is partially tied to anxiety. Like I was always so anxious in social situations um, or really being in any kind of situation where I wasn't where I didn't feel safe. Um, and I think anxiety if you think about like our, our nervous system, um, anxiety being in that in that state of like um, fight, flight, or f- freeze, like that shuts off physical hunger cues and that makes it literally physically harder to eat. Um, so, so I think that like already um, the ma- the anxiety that came with masking already had an impact on like my my physical state, which made it physically harder for me to eat. Um, but I think also like like mentally um trying to like trying to fit a mold of who I wasn't supposed to be like gives you this huge sense of like lack of control right so you mm-hmm. so it causes you to turn to other things that do give you that false sense of safety and control um and and that is food and exercise i mean when you i mean sometimes sometimes people turn to alcohol or drugs or other addictions but when you're like 11 like <laughs> what is what is super easy to access and super easy to control at that age is how you eat and how you move. Um, so I, I definitely think masking did play a part in that as well. Yeah, I, I can relate as well. I mean, I think that in hindsight, which is easy, obviously, but I think that not fitting it, fitting in and being bullied for, for who you are. And then you think, oh, maybe if I lose weight, I'll be accepted. My social awkwardness uh, won't matter as much. And I think that's an experience that's um, very common in autistic people. Yeah, definitely. Like, like masking. I, actually, I think that the eating disorder itself is a form of masking in some way. I, I actually I completely agree with that um because I actually read a I read one of Echo Toll's books recently I, I'm not going to get too deep into this but I, I wrote another podcast episode script about something and I say I actually use exactly that phrase in in the episode of like the eating disorder is a mask for who you really are yeah. um and yeah. and when you are able to accept your autism you no longer need that mask um but that's really scary because you're so used to wearing that mask yeah. to 
to you, I, you don't I'm, know who you are anymore when you realize that you're autistic you're like okay so what is the real me and what is the mask and sometimes it's really really hard to disentangle because I mean it's so ingrained into yourself that the mask becomes who you think you are and and yeah. so it, it's a lot of like uh unpacking and self-discovery and sometimes even painful um and I think that's also a huge part of the reason why it is so hard um, for autistic people or for anyone in general to to recover from an eating disorder because you've you've correlated your identity to that yeah. thing um, and letting go of that like brings with it the sense of emptiness, the sense of lack of purpose and yeah. and yeah. not feeling that like that is so, so scary. So, you know, we cling to what we know. We cling to what we what what is safe we we act in alignment with how we identify so if we identify as someone who needs an eating disorder that's how we will continue to identify and that's how we will continue to live exactly, um, but exactly. i think that's also the very first step to living a free life is saying i i do not want to identify as this person anymore i want to identify and fill it in how you want to identify and i think that's the very first step to like i said discovering that free life and that's why I don't really like the word recovery very much is because I think when you identify as someone in recovery you will act in alignment with someone in recovery but when you act in alignment with someone in recovery and you keep acting as someone in recovery you will stay in recovery but again that's not the point like the point is to to be free to be recovered to be out of recovery um so I think that's the approach I take with with working one on one with clients is is saying like, let's not focus on doing recovery a certain way. Let's focus on who are you at your core? Who do you want to be? How do you want to identify and build build on that? Because that is so much more productive. And, than- and not listen to what society tells you is normal. Just be yourself and just yes. stop caring what people think of yeah. you if you're weird if you're awkward then so be it be proud of it embrace it yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly so what few words of wisdom or recommendations would you give to neurodivergent people struggling with an eating disorder that still needs more guidance yeah so i first of all i'd i'd recommend um that you are not bad, you are not weird, you are not weak for struggling with an eating disorder um, as a neurodivergent individual. Um, that's like the first thing I want to say is that your struggles are so, so valid um, and you are sick enough and you are not too complex or any of these labels that anyone has told you. Um, and full recovery, like I know this is going to sound so cliche, but full recovery, being recovered and living a life of freedom in, and without restriction is 100% possible for you. Um, and, and when it comes to achieving that life and getting there, I think it's so, so important to give yourself permission that your journey is not going to look the same way as it, as it is going to look for someone who is neurotypical. You, you have a very different brain. You are unique, which means the approach you are going to take to discovering and, and un- unleashing your full potential is also going to look unique. Um, and, and for me, a huge part of, well, basically the most important part of becoming fully recovered from my eating disorder was to stop trying to fit the mold of what I believed recovery looked like. So, um, so, cause for so long, I believed like, you know, I can only be fully recovered if um, I no longer have certain preferences or certain routines or uh, sensory needs around food right um but of course that was 
chasing something that didn't even exist because it, that's who I essentially am. Chasing I, the, the the neurotypical idealizing yes. of recovery, which is which is, which which is not for these people. Which actually, like, I don't use the word impossible a lot, but like that is actually impossible. Yeah. Um. So so yeah, and it's I, actually I'd harmful recommend... as well. Yeah, exactly. And chasing um, something that isn't good for you is obviously harmful. Yeah, yeah, so that's the definition. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I'd say like um allow yourself to to embark on a journey that is unique to you. And if you feel like you're really struggling um with feeling understood and feeling seen and feeling heard, because I mean most treatment professionals do not understand um autism, especially when it comes to eating disorders. Um, I, I would recommend finding someone or working with someone who who does understand, who has lived experience, because I, I, I personally believe lived experience is the most powerful qualification for any kind of help or support. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, if if people want to learn more about me and the work I do, um, you can find me on my website, livelabelfree.com. Um, and I, I basically have everything there. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I think it all comes down to giving yourself permission to mm-hmm. to be yourself without labels. Yeah. Um, and that yeah. that's also my whole philosophy of, of live label free. I believe any kind of restriction um, is is rooted in labels, right? Whether we label food as good or bad causes us to restrict certain foods. Labeling behavior as something we should or shouldn't do causes us to only do the things that we, we feel we should do, um, even though the things we say we shouldn't do are, are maybe the very things that we actually want to do. Um, so yeah, giving yourself permission to to be yourself, to be the full unique version of you, because the world only has one you um, and, and trying and it to needs be one you as well. Yes, exactly. Um, so yeah, thank so, you so much, Lawrence, for, for having me on this podcast. Thank you very much for being on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. How powerful was that conversation? I'd love to continue it with you. Did you resonate with any of the experiences I described? What were your biggest insights? Let me know your thoughts by sending me an email at livelabelfree at gmail.com or simply submit your message via the contact form on my website by visiting the link livelabelfree.com forward slash contact. And if you're interested in buying my cookbook, Nourishing Neurodiversity, and being the first one to know when my memoir Rainbow Girl comes out, be sure to visit the Books tab on my website to learn more. And of course, if you want to get those books for free, you can join me on Patreon by visiting the link livelabelfree.com forward slash Patreon. I hope to chat with you soon, and otherwise, I'll catch you in the next episode. Bye-bye for now! in front of the other and you'll see around the corner soon this podcast has been recorded by your host Liv this podcast has been edited by my wonderful friend Dharma and the beautiful song One Foot in Front of the Other that you were now listening to was written and recorded by my beautiful mom Louise Alexandra I am so grateful for my team and everyone who supports Live Label Free. Together, we are always stronger.